you know, that feeling when it's 3 PM and you're sitting at work and you just can't focus anymore. You're exhausted, you're antsy, and you feel that need for a pick-me-up because you just can't keep going. So you reach for that little candy bar or chocolate or cookie, and it just gives you the boost you need to keep going for the rest of the day. Have you ever had a day like that? Because I want you to know that that afternoon slump might be a sign of unbalanced blood sugar. When our blood sugar crashes, our brain is not getting a steady stream of glucose coming in. So it will cause us to have low energy and cause a biological craving for quick energy, AKA sugar or carbs. And this is not because of a lack of willpower. It's really because your blood sugar isn't balanced. I should know because I used to live on the blood sugar roller coaster until I learned how to eat properly for balanced blood sugar and balanced hormones. And it seriously changed my life. So many of my clients say the same thing. They no longer feel like they need a nap. They've cut down on their number of coffees throughout the day, and they feel a steady, stable stream of energy that allows them to show up for work, for their families, and for their relationships as the best version of themselves. So if you are struggling with symptoms of unbalanced blood sugar, like fatigue, constant cravings, irregular periods, mood swings, anxiety, painful periods, fertility challenges, or more, then my signature course, Balance Your Hormones 101, will change your life. It teaches you everything you need to know about how you can use nutrition to balance your hormones and feel amazing in your body. I've run this program eight times and it's helped hundreds of women get the results they want. I am in the process of completely revamping the program to make it even better for you because I really believe that women deserve to know how to feel good in their bodies. The doors are opening in just a few weeks, so make sure that you click on the link in the show notes to subscribe to my email newsletter so you could be the first to know when the doors are open and grab your spot. I can't wait to see you there. Hello, my friends. I'm so excited that you're here for today's episode because we have an incredible guest, Kaylee McDevitt. Kaylee was such a pleasure to speak to, and there's something about her voice, which is so grounded and so soothing, but also something just about the way she delivers information. I'm someone who consumes a lot of media and information about nutrition, but there's something about the way she says it where it just like sinks in and really hits and will really inspire you to actually take what you're hearing and put it into practice. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. Let me tell you a little bit about Kaylee. Kaylee McDevitt is a registered dietitian specializing in nutrition for women's health. She owns a virtual private practice where she and her team help their clients reclaim their energy, optimize fertility, and overcome hormonal symptoms through personalized nutrition. Having experienced the pitfalls of a conventional approach to women's health firsthand, Kaylee is passionate about empowering women to build health from a place of connection to self, to nature, and to community. Listen in to hear Kaylee share how diet culture has impacted hormonal health for women today, how overachieving and burnout is impacting our ovulation, common mistakes that women are making that are impacting our hormones, how blood sugar swings are impacting our hormones, the benefits of progesterone beyond our fertility, why functional testing can be a guide but not gospel for us, the wisdom that we can learn from tracking our cycle and living in sync with our cycles, what eating for happy and healthy hormones looks like, and the importance of rest for optimal health and hormones. I know you guys are going to love it. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Kaylee. Welcome to the About Health and Hormones podcast. 
I'm your host, Lauren Allen, a recovered sugar addict turned certified nutrition coach on a mission to help women learn how to balance their hormones and optimize their fertility. On this podcast, we have conversations with experts about all things health, hormones, wellness, nutrition, and more to give you the information, tips, and tricks you need to take control of your health and feel amazing in your body. I am so happy that you're here and I can't wait to dive in. Hi, Kaylee. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. I would love if you could tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got to where you are now, because I feel like you've had quite the journey when it comes to health and nutrition. For sure. And I think that's kind of how we all end up where we end up in terms of specialty, right? Like we walk through something, but um, I'm a registered dietitian and I specialize in women's health and have been working in that space really for the better part of the last decade, which feels crazy to say, but I did not have the intention of being in women's health. When I pursued dietetics, I thought I'd work in sports nutrition. I chose my internship and my master's based on that track, but as fate would have it, I dealt with a lot of hormone health issues while I was in school, getting my degree and getting my credentials and really realized that after seven years of higher education in the health space, I just didn't understand the menstrual cycle. I didn't understand birth control. I didn't understand how food really impacted women's health specifically. So I was frantically like educating myself in those areas while working in a non-women's health space. And it took me a couple of years to really get back to feeling like myself again and put an end to the hormone symptoms that I had. And when I finally like peeked up from that hole that I was in, I just realized that there were probably other women looking for that info. So I originally started putting it on a blog and then that turned into a private practice and really haven't looked back. Wow. It's, it's so relatable. And I think it's so interesting for a lot of people to probably hear like, what do you mean you were in school as a registered dietitian? Like how could your health have been suffering? Do you mind sharing with us? Like what, what did that look like? And what was the mismatch between what you were learning and what you were practicing? Yeah, this was a tough time. So if anyone is in that position, which I think just speaking with health practitioners routinely, like I think we kind of have all had these moments, but I, got my credentials and felt like an absolute fraud where I was like, how am I supposed to be helping people? I feel horrible myself. And so for me, the the symptoms that I was experiencing were really related to being put on birth control really young. So I went on birth control like shortly after ever getting my period because they were so miserable and I was like missing days of school and um, really at that point, just desperate for anything that could get me out of those symptoms. So I was like, immediately, yes, birth control sounds great for me. And over the 10 years that I was on that, I was having symptoms to different types. So I would see my doctor, we would switch to a different type of pill, um, slightly different formulations, always looking for one that would help me feel more like myself. But in general, I just had a lot of brain fog and fatigue. Um, I was an athlete growing up and kind of thought I would always be, and just really lost that, like, energy and like even just metabolism, I think was suffering big time at, at those days. Um, I would deal with really severe anxiety um, to the point where I was having heart palpitations that would prompt me to go like see a cardiologist because I thought something was wrong with my heart. Um, and then about two weeks out of every month, I just didn't feel like myself at all. My husband and I met right as I came off birth control. And he jokes that when we first met, he thought I was going to break up with him like once a month, every month for the first several months we were together. 
So it kind of encompassed like metabolism, emotions, anxiety, energy. Um, there really wasn't an avenue that it didn't touch. And I was, you know, always like a needed to get straight A's in school. Like I'm going to do things by the book to a T. So I was applying what I was being taught in school really well. So this was the time of like tracking calories and relatively low fat eating and doing a lot of cardio. I was running marathons at this point in my life. And when I was starting to realize that that form of diet and exercise was actually hurting my hormone health and everything shattered for me in terms of my beliefs around health and nutrition. Um, and so had a bit of a crisis of faith and decided to do things totally different and slowly rebuild my ability to build hormones and come off birth control. And it was a bit of a bumpy ride because I was learning as I was going, but really thankful for it. Oh my gosh. I think there are so many pieces to your story that are, are just so interesting. Like, first of all, now I'm sure you think, oh, the fact that the pill was, you know, affecting me emotionally and metabolically and physically, like that probably makes a lot of sense for you now. Like, of course it was, but at the time it must've been so confusing or such a, a shock. It, it sounds like it really did kind of give you this almost like identity crisis of like, what is going on when you were learning that all of these things weren't actually supporting your health. And I think, I just like, I think it's great that you're so brave and you, you talk about how that journey was really hard to like unlearn what you had learned and then try something different. Yeah. Thanks. And it was, it was definitely a scary time. And I would voice my concerns a lot to various OBGYNs that I was working with. And um, most of those symptoms were getting dismissed or I was presented, we could give you like an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety on top of it. So there was a lot of just gaslighting in those days and kind of finding my own feet with what I believed and what I understood about the human body. So again, just anyone that's in the thick of it right now, I could just really empathize with that time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate you saying that. Cause I do think a lot of women kind of have this gut intuition of like, this isn't right. This isn't really how it should be. I know for me, I always, you know, I always say like, I was a really smart and educated person. I just knew nothing about my hormones and I wasn't getting a regular period when I was trying to get pregnant. And I like, I thought it was weird, but I went to two OBGYNs where like, you get, you have 60 day cycles. Like it's fine. You're normal. You're at a healthy weight. And I was like, it doesn't really sit right with me, but like, okay, they're the doctor. I'm going to trust them. And I, I think a lot of women are waking up to this idea now that like we need to really understand our own bodies and our own hormones because unfortunately we don't always get the guidance that we need in the medical world. It's not to say that, you know, not all doctors are great, but I think a lot of women have had that kind of struggle. I totally agree. And it's just remembering that you're the expert of you and it's great to have practitioners you consult with, but they are consultants. They're not the expert of your body. So I think the fact that you even knew like mm, something's not right here. Like that's a really powerful thing, that intuition and listening to it. Yeah. Well, I didn't listen to it at the time. I just kept like going on with it, but eventually, yeah. Um, I know one thing that you speak about a lot is the impact that diet culture has on female hormones. And I would love to hear you talk more about that because I think there are also a lot of women in my community who fit kind of what you were saying, like the type A overachiever, love to do things perfectly. If they have a health plan, they're like, I will follow it to a T. I, I want like a good grade on my health. And I think sometimes people don't realize that actually in and of itself could negatively impact our hormones. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yes. I'm so happy to. This is one of my favorite things because we serve primarily like millennial women. So women in childbearing age range. So like 20s to 40s typically. 
And we grew up in a really weird time of diet culture and just messaging. Like I can remember it's, it seemed like every other year we would switch from like really being afraid of fat to really being afraid of carbs to really being afraid of X, Y, Z. Like it just changed so much growing up. And even just what I was being taught in school um, to get a dietetics degree was just really dated information. It was a lot of like calorie counting and the food pyramid and things like that. Um, and, and when we grew up with that kind of disconnect around our own hunger and fullness cues, and instead using food to manipulate our body to look a certain way. And again, millennial women, we grew up thinking the thinnest you could be is the best and it equates to health, which isn't always the case. Um, so when we chronically deprive ourselves of enough energy coming in from food, or maybe even just from specific macronutrients. So whether we're staying away from carbs or fat or not getting enough protein, the net result of that is a lack of safety in the body. And in order for us to ovulate and therefore produce hormones and have fertility, we have to have safety in the body. We have to have energy available. And I think another aha moment for me was understanding that almost no nutrition research until very recently was ever done on women. So we were applying nutrition research to a completely out of context situation when we were telling women to do the same. So I think that's one arm of it is there was a big theme of like deprivation and restriction from like the 80s, 90s and 2000s. And then to the note that you mentioned, there's also this big perfectionist issue when it comes to health too. And I was totally guilty of this as well. I'm like, if you tell me the rules, I'm going to do the rules to a T. And that like white knuckling it through our life and again, following rules instead of listening to the signals our body gives us creates a lot of stress and typically some energy deficiency as well. <laughs> and I think that like burnout type A overachiever kind of culture for women has been a big part of the fertility struggles that we see today. I, I totally agree. And I think it's something that's very hard for people to wrap their heads around because they feel like, but if I'm eating healthy and I'm doing the right things, like there's no way I'm actually stressing myself out enough to prevent or delay ovulation or anything like that, or, or, you know, prevent my progesterone from working. And I know that you talk a lot about the role of progesterone, not just in support of pregnancy, because of course it's really important for fertility, but it supports the body in other ways. So yeah. How does progesterone play a role in that? And how, how can stress affect progesterone levels? Yeah. Progesterone is the other female sex hormone that doesn't get as much airtime as estrogen for whatever reason, but um, progesterone is there to balance the proliferative effects of estrogen. So really, if you look at any system in the body, there's a really great checks and balances to make sure things go well. And so we only make progesterone if ovulation occurred. So around mid cycle, if we ovulate, then we start to make progesterone and we do so until either the end of the cycle, so start of the next period, or if conception occurred, then that progesterone carries the pregnancy and progesterone again is balancing estrogen. So most of the symptoms we think about with like PMS or heavy, painful periods or mood swings, those are when we don't have enough progesterone to balance that estrogen. So estrogen is proliferative. It builds up Without progesterone, we have maybe too thick of an endometrial lining, and then we have heavier, painful, maybe clotty periods. We have a big um, influence on mood and even energy and sleep in that state as well. So I like to think of progesterone as like the grounding hormone. It's like we're at peace with life. We're in flow with life. We're not overly stressed out or overly like manic about anything. We're just 
grounded and we sleep well. It's kind of like nature's anti-anxiety when we have progesterone around. So we want it. And in order to have it, we must ovulate and we have to check our stress because if we are kind of running hundred miles an hour or burning the candle on both ends, one of the fastest things that happens is we degrade the amount of progesterone that we make in the cycle, or we block ovulation as a whole. So we don't actually make any progesterone that cycle. Yeah. I think that's so, so important for women to know. Also, I know you spoke a lot about how the pill impacted you specifically. And I don't know if it's something that you talk a lot about like publicly in your community. I know that for a lot of people, birth control is a really personal choice, but I always tell people like it is one of the things you have to take into consideration. You are not going to get a natural boost of progesterone while you're on hormonal birth control. That's how it helps you not get pregnant. And while I think there is definitely value in preventing unwanted pregnancies, because that could definitely be stressful if you don't want that, it is definitely a consideration that you have to, to think about. Totally. I mean, you go, you forego progesterone while you're on birth control. You're getting some synthetic progestins from different types of birth control, but those have very different biological action. So, um, you know, for me personally, I went a decade without progesterone and then coming off birth control doesn't mean that everything just resumes immediately. It took me some time to, to get back. And a lot of it was coming back to changing how I was eating and changing how I was moving and how I related to stress. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more either for yourself or just generally what, what do you think women need more of when it comes to how to eat for healthy, happy hormones? Because I know you had your own personal journey, but you also work with a lot of women who are coming from all different places. So I think a lot of this has to do with just understanding that we are cyclical beings. So if we are not on birth control and we are having cycles, then we have completely different hormone environments throughout the month that influence, you know, energy needs and our metabolic rate and the types of fuel that we burn. And we also should acknowledge the fact that if we're cyclical beings, we can't expect the same output from ourselves every single day. Um, I think we just get used to like, here's the bar of achievement. I have to reach that level of energy and productivity every single day. Otherwise I'm failing. And it's kind of bringing us back to that, like type a perfectionist mentality that a lot of us today have. And when we are cyclical beings and we have to protect ovulation and hormone production, we really just have to be gentle with the way that we approach nutrition. So we've talked about this a little bit earlier on, but that need for safety in the body is foundational for happy hormones, for ovulation, for progesterone. And we create safety through eating enough consistently first and foremost. So we cannot create happy hormones in a deprived state. So whether we are intentionally under eating or accidentally, which I do find in a lot of women, we're going to have a hard time getting the hormones back on track. And I'd actually argue we won't until we correct that. And then the next kind of step up the ladder from there is we've got to work on balancing blood sugar. And I know this is a big part of your personal story as well, um, but swings in blood sugar, both high and low, produce enough stress on the body that we start to mess with hormone production and ovulation. So we typically approach blood sugar balance by having carbs, proteins, and fats together and having them consistently throughout the day so that we have nice rolling hills of blood sugar instead of big peaks and valleys. And I'm sure you find this in your work too, and anybody listening can relate, but the most frustrating thing about nutrition is how different it can be from person to person. Yeah. In general, carbs, proteins, and fats together, but the amounts of each might vary for each person listening. And it just takes some experimentation there. 
I definitely appreciate you saying that because I think also one thing that happens when you really learn your own body, like I don't know if you recommend to people that they should track their cycles or do any kind of form of fertility awareness method, but I had started doing that like I kind of had a long time without actually having cycles because I ended up getting pregnant, breastfeeding, getting pregnant again. And I've really only like in the last couple of months been able to really do that tracking and see like, oh my gosh, at different times of the month, I, I feel it. And I also will test my blood sugar occasionally with the glucometer still. And I see that like I spike so much more easily in certain weeks of my cycle from the same exact meal or like... I'll see that I have cravings way more right before I'm getting my period. And I've been able to find like, okay, for the perfect blood sugar meal, I wouldn't normally have this many carbs, but I see that let's say I like up the sweet potatoes or I up the beans in a certain recipe. I don't have the cravings for like a tub of ice cream or something that's, you know, a much stronger, bingier kind of craving. And like, I've really been able to fine tune what works for me. And I think that's also something really cool is like when you're really able to learn your body cyclically, you're able to plan ahead in a way that also just like, it gives you a lot of empowerment, I think in your, in your diet and your nutrition. Oh my gosh. Yes. I can't recommend that enough. I wish, and I hope for the day that this is what we're taught in that like seventh grade health class where they're telling you about your period and how you can get pregnant. Um, what a gift to learn cycle awareness or fertility awareness method, or even just using any of the apps that are available today. This used to all be done on paper. So the fact that this is done on apps now is really cool. It's the best. Yeah. It's just knowing where you are in your cycle gives you so much power, like you said, and it gives you the ability to troubleshoot symptoms on your own, to see where they're happening, to correlate that with cravings and blood sugar, if you track it, and even just the foods that you gravitate toward or the types of training that you gravitate toward. Totally. And when you know that info, man, you're just building autonomy. I mean, I've even seen there's like one specific day in the cycle where I have just really weird dreams that night or like I toss and turn a lot more. I have bad sleep. And I decided for me personally, I'm such a monster without sleep. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take melatonin on this night. I know it's like exactly a certain amount of days before I'm supposed to get my period. I've seen it like four cycles in a row. And I'm also able, listen, like I know maybe not everyone would think that's the most natural, holistic way to go about it. But I'm like, this works for me. So I'm not a monster and I don't want to throw my kids out the window. And it's, and like, I'm so excited when I'm like, oh, I, I, it's not that something's wrong with me or I was super anxious about whatever. Like I, I really see it's just a hormonal thing of where I'm at in my cycle. Yes. Yeah. It's that understanding and grace for yourself when you are constantly reminded that you're a cyclical being and not every day is going to be the same and it's not supposed to. I just remember thinking like, specific to exercise in the follicular or first half versus luteal, the second half of your cycle. Um, Typically your drive to train is totally different. And the types of movement that you're going to either excel at or want to do is different. And I just remember being like, gosh, why do I not have the motivation to do these ridiculous cardio or intense workouts that I was doing last week and just beating myself up over it until I understood like, oh, the hormonal environment is different. This part of the cycle is typically more geared to like slower, lower intensity stuff. I'm not lazy. I haven't lost motivation. I just have different hormones than I did last week. So I think it helps with just giving yourself some grace. (laughs) Totally. And I always tell people, it's like, imagine if your boss called you up and said, oh, we have a work meeting at 3 a.m. You'd be like, first of all, that's that's literally insane. No, but no one would expect you to be in the same mood that you would be if you had a meeting at like 10 a.m. because you're different. Like we're different at different parts of the day. And I know that the world doesn't operate that way, 
for women. Like we don't operate as a whole system on a monthly cycle, but it's really a very similar thing that like you can't expect yourself to perform, especially, I mean, it sounds like you were doing really intense athletic things like marathon training and running. And I don't know if you were tracking your PRs and your times Mm -hmm. and things like that, but yeah, I could imagine it's so easy to beat yourself up and say like, why am I slower this week when last week I was crushing it and understanding this stuff can really help you be more gentle on yourself. Yeah. Gosh, that gentleness is, is huge. And then just allowing the slowdown and allowing the rest that is naturally part of the late phase of the cycle. So like the end of the luteal phase into your period um, over the years of really tracking that closely. And of course, seeing this in our clients too, I found that if we can really slow down and rest in that phase, we have such better energy and hormone production in the, the subsequent cycle. Um, so it's like, you have to earn the right to go a hundred miles an hour when you're feeling really good by resting during the slower seasons and what a beautiful design, right? Cause if we could go hundred miles an hour, every single day, we would hit burnout very quickly. A lot of us probably have related to that in different times in life. I know I certainly have, um, but it's like, we have these built-in checks and balances to ideally not let that happen as long as we're in tune with it. I love that. And one thing I just have to add about this, cause it's something I've noticed recently that I think is really cool. I definitely tend to have a little bit of an obsession with numbers. Like I like tracking metrics. It's really easy for me to like anchor myself, let's say with blood sugar numbers or things like that. And recently in the last couple of months, I've gotten really into breath work and I do the Wim Hof breathing method where you basically are tracking how long you could hold your breath for, which it's like, honestly, it's a very intense, like very masculine energy kind of breath work. But one thing that I've seen that's crazy is like my lung capacity is very different in my follicular and luteal phase. And I still do it in the luteal phase, but let's say normally I could hold my breath for like two and a half minutes. I could do like one and a half minute. I'm like, wow. So something that's happening all day, which is I'm breathing, but I'm probably taking in less oxygen and I have like a a lower resilience when it comes to how much carbon dioxide is building up in my blood. Like I don't even know all the ways it affects my hormones, but it's something that I'm able to now see like, no, 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 we're really, really different down to like every single biochemical reaction in our body. It's really, really different every day of our cycle. And I think that's so cool. That's a really cool metric that you've been tracking. Yeah. I need a, I need someone to do a study on it, but yeah. I don't know where we're <laughs> going to get the funding from. <laughs> Probably not. I would love to hear more from you about what you see as being some of the most pervasive issues in women's health now. Because I know you talked about women undernourishing themselves, sometimes purposefully, sometimes by accident. What are some of the other most common struggles that you're seeing women have with their health today? Um, Those are definitely the first. And then I'd follow that with not eating enough protein. This seems to be like a women's issue from, from my experience. I think men gravitate more toward protein rich foods kind of naturally than women do. And I think that's part of it. And the other part is that, you know, typically protein requires some amount of prep, especially if we're talking about like cooking a protein. And so it's not usually like what we would just grab if we were in a hurry. Um, But that protein is huge, not only for blood sugar stability and hormone production, but just maintaining that lean muscle mass, which is so big for just that thriving metabolism and healthy aging. And you know, if you desire to be pregnant, it's a big part of like carrying a healthy pregnancy and recovering postpartum. So the protein needs are definitely, um, not being met in most women, unless they're really being conscious of that. Um, 
I'd say the mineral depletion is another big thing and kind of a passion point of mine in, in the practice that I run, um, particularly for women that have had kids that have breastfed, um, both the act of pregnancy and breastfeeding are really nutrient draining on mom, um, particularly from a mineral standpoint. And then stress is really mineral depleting too. And so whether pregnancy has been part of the story or not, I know stress definitely has been because modern humans just, we sit in front of computers and we have access to social media. There's just a lot of stress and kind of craziness in the world. And minerals run our enzymes and enzymes run the reactions in our cells. So whether this is hormone production or running our metabolism or healing um, or like detoxification, just we, we depend on minerals for that to happen. And a trend that had been, I, maybe it's still going on and I'm just kind of in a bubble where I'm not seeing it, but is drinking like a gallon of water a day, just plain water. And the problem with just plain water is that it's not bringing any minerals back to you. So we can bet on the depletion being part of it, whether it's stress or motherhood. And if we're drinking a whole bunch of plain water, we're just diluting the mineral situation more. So what we do to combat this is we get some good quality mineral rich salt. You can add that to meals. You can put a pinch of that in your plain water to now make it more mineral rich. We bring in potassium rich foods, which if you grew up in the, like being afraid of fruit and root vegetable time frame that I think we all went through, those are our primarily high potassium foods to choose from. Maybe this is bringing in like bone broths. Maybe this is bringing in some organ meats occasionally, um, bringing in some magnesium, whether it's topical or something that we take as a supplement. But those additional mineral inputs make oftentimes the fastest impact on energy and just stress resilience in the clients that we see. I love that you mentioned the minerals because I don't think people are talking about that enough. And I do think like at least if you're kind of plugged into the nutrition world, everyone's talking about protein now and like, how do you get a high protein breakfast? And, and there's like the challenge then, as you said, of how do you prep it and make sure that you're actually getting it. But I do think a lot of people are like, okay, part of the foundation of if I'm going to try to make a balanced meal is getting the protein. But I think the minerals is something that people are not even thinking about. And I'm wondering for you, if you notice like for yourself or other women who tend to be active, is it more challenging, let's say for these athletes or, you know, the woman who's going to Pilates five times a week, like what's happening when they're sweating regularly and then also just drinking plain water? Yeah. So you're going to just see faster depletion in that case, typically. And we do a hair tissue mineral analysis testing on all of our clients. It's actually the only lab we automatically run because this mineral stuff is such an issue. Um, and we see a really common theme, whether it is a history of under eating, whether it's a history of just a lot of exercise, a lot of sweat or motherhood, usually multiple pregnancies. Um, we see really flatlined minerals. It's this pattern on an HTMA called a fast four or four lows. And it's just burnout that we can see on the cellular level. And we lose resilience to stress in that state. So it's like digging yourself in a deeper and deeper hole. And it's funny how all of those situations look similar. I'd also add like high stress or like really intense healing journeys, like being on a lot of heavy duty, duty protocols or pushing detox really hard. All of that looks the same way minerally and it's just depletion. Wow. That's really, really interesting. And I actually saw something, I don't remember if it was on your Instagram or your website, you talked about testing and the importance of testing, but also I'm trying to remember how you phrase it. You said something like, we don't use it as dogma. We use it as like a starting point to help. Yeah you know, help women figure out what they need. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about 
the role of testing where it can be beneficial and then also maybe where your own intuition can be just as beneficial? So we do testing as a big part of our practice. Um, typically our clients are coming to us like after having seen many other practitioners and maybe they've exhausted all the conventional routes. So they're deep enough into this that they're doing a lot of the foundational stuff already. Um, so I'd say I wouldn't start with testing if you haven't implemented some of the basics that we discussed, like eating enough, working on blood sugar, bringing some minerals in. But once those are in play, if symptoms are still present, it's usually helpful to take a look under the hood at what could be either depleted or imbalanced or just give us more insight. So we use testing to help understand our clients' physiology better and to eliminate as much guesswork as we can from like a food and supplement perspective. But it's important to remember that testing is never perfect. Like no matter the type, whether it's something you do with your doctor or some functional specialty panel you do with a different provider, they all have limitations. And I do see clients kind of getting caught up in like chasing a perfect test result or letting the test result tell them that there's a problem that they didn't already experience in their body. So just thinking of it as a data point, not gospel. And it's part of the work that we do. It's not the whole thing. Um, the other big part is what you know to be true in your body, your intuition and that autonomy. It's so important. That's what it was. It was use it as a guide, not as gospel. I think that's what it said on your, on your website or somewhere on Instagram. And I was like, that's, I, I love that approach. Cause I do think also when you get into the functional world, there is a lot of emphasis on testing. It can definitely be really expensive. Also, if you're paying for it privately and I, I think there's a tremendous value to it. But like you said, also, sometimes people are not even doing the basics. Like, you know, I, it's funny because I come from this whole other place of like, I wasn't overly eating healthy. I was eating cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like I wasn't eating, I was eating very few foods that were natural and not overly processed. And so for me, like, I don't think I needed to do super intense testing. I needed to start with the basics of like, let's, let's get you some protein. Let's get some fiber in there. And I saw major changes in my body just because I, I did such a 180 that was like, you know, my diet was primarily really unhealthy and I moved to a much healthier place. And, and, you know, sometimes you could even just hear someone's symptoms. Like I once worked with this girl who was just, she was living her best life. She was going out a lot. She would go clubbing till like four in the morning. She's like, I eat really healthy. I don't understand. I have no energy. I'm like, there is nothing you could eat that's going to help you when you're going out till four in the morning. Like, right. oh, no man. wonder you're exhausted. And she was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. No, that's huge. You got to you gotta walk before you can run with this stuff. And like you mentioned, the specialty testing can get expensive really quickly. So you just want to make sure that if you're doing it, it makes sense for you to do it at that time. Um, and that's where, you know, working with practitioners that'll help vet the situation and help guide what makes sense at what time is is key. Um, because yeah, you could quickly spend a lot of money on testing. That's really not going to move the needle because we're just not doing the basic stuff yet. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you phrasing it that way. I'm curious also, cause I know we were speaking in the beginning about, you know, just especially our generation, the diet culture, how it impacted people. And I don't know about you. I know a lot of women come to me and they are now in this new phase of like, okay, I know that we're like diet culture is really bad. And I know I'm not really supposed to want to lose weight and I'm supposed to love my body. And I really, really wish that was true. But like, I'm not trying to lose weight. It's more like I want to get healthy. But like, if I lost weight, I wouldn't be upset about it. I see a lot of women almost like dancing around the truth that they're like, listen, I do want to lose weight. I don't feel great at the weight that I am at. And I'm wondering if that's something that you are seeing come up for women and then how, how can we guide women through that 
when we're also trying to combat this really intense and very damaging and and potentially harmful diet culture. Yeah, I think that's a really good topic because we've gone from like one extreme to the other with the messaging here. And now it's like you, this is a flaw if you want to lose weight and it means you don't love yourself, which I think is damaging too. Um, my personal philosophy on this is you can absolutely have goals of body composition changes or weight loss. Um, what matters is how we approach it. Um, and we want to do this in a hormonally and metabolically responsible way, which we can talk a bit, a bit more about. And then the other thing is what's the driving motivation behind that and really digging into those questions, because if the driving motivation is, I want to look a certain way so that I feel worth, or I feel desirable, or I feel just anything tied to like the physical look, I'll say from experience, both personally and professionally, we'd never get to that point where we actually feel really good and successful. But if our why is, I'd like to lose some body fat so that I can have the mobility and stamina to show up for my kids or to feel confident in my clothes so I can go out on dates or with my husband or just um, Noelle Tarr, she has the Well-Fed Women podcast. She says metrics that matter, which I think is a really good way to think about this weight loss thing. So what metrics are we tracking with this? Is it your sleep quality, your energy, your vitality for life, how you show up for people, or is it the size pants that I wear or how I feel like I'm valuable because of relative thinness. So that's something that has to be like dug into personally, a big fan of journaling. We often give our clients some journal prompts to just sit with after sessions. And a lot of them are around those bigger questions of what is the deep why behind this? Because if the why is I want to be a certain weight or a certain size, that's not, it's never a strong enough why to actually get there. Um, we've got to have something deeper than that. So as long as we're looking at a strong why, then we can move into how we would approach that. Um, again, keeping hormones and metabolism top of mind, which means a lot of times we have to spend the first portion of our time with clients actually increasing how much they eat to support their metabolism and hormones first, which feels very counterintuitive and scary if you're coming from kind of a restriction past or you do have weight loss goals. Um, but once we get metabolism and hormones in a good place, a lot of times that weight loss or body composition shifts happen on its own, which is really fun and cool to be like eating more and actually seeing some shifts. Um, and then other times you do have to have more of a dedicated weight loss phase, which can be approached kind of gently and short-term would be the two keys for women. Thank you so much for explaining that because I think you explained it really well and in a really nuanced way. And you're right. I think in our culture, we've kind of swung to this other place of if you have these weight loss goals, it means you don't love yourself or you're not body positive. And honestly, I see that bringing just as much shame to women as feeling bad about their size. And I think people forget like there is a totally healthy way to do it. And one thing that I also bring up a lot with my clients is like, you know, if you're eating to support blood sugar balance and gut health and you're sleeping more and you lose weight and have more energy and your skin clears up, like that is a sign that, you know, this is working for you and that's okay that that's part of a, a healthy lifestyle. But then obviously, you know, if you're losing weight, someone was telling me they, you know, they tried this diet where they, they did lose weight, but they were freezing cold all the time. 
and they had no energy and their hair was falling out. It's like, okay, well, that's your body telling you really clearly, this is not a healthy way for you to lose weight. And so I think the the context is really important. I love the the journaling exercises. I think getting deep on that why is also just really, really important. Yeah, totally. And like you said, it's paying attention to how you feel when you're doing something, not just the scale results. Um, so like the body temp, the sleep, the energy, the cycle regularity, that the sex drive is a big thing impacted by energy intake. So just making sure we're keeping track of all the aspects of life impacted by that. So we don't go down a path that's actually more damaging than we thought. Totally. And I work with a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant, then do get pregnant or dealing with these things postpartum. Um, is there anything about that that you would also recommend? I, I actually just did a whole solo episode of like, I was really struggling postpartum because I had gained twice as much weight in my second pregnancy than my first. And it was like, honestly, a little bit of a crazy mind blowing experience. I didn't feel like myself. And I, I, you know, had this struggle for the first time of like, oh my gosh, I want to lose weight. And and I've never had those thoughts before. Um, and do you see this being like a particularly pervasive issue, I guess, in, specifically in that area, or like, I know some women are afraid to even get pregnant. They're so afraid of gaining weight. Yeah, I think pregnancy and postpartum are unusual in that like you're seeing your body be totally different than it ever has been at any other point in your life. And it's doing the most miraculous, like magical thing possible. But we still have a lot of those ingrained thoughts of like how we should look or the clothes we should fit in. And even just the like bounce back culture that's pervasive in the like mom communities of getting your pre-baby body back as quickly as possible Um, And I find that type of rhetoric really damaging because that postpartum window is so sacred and there's so much healing and like re-nourishment and repletion going on there. And you're keeping another human alive. And particularly if you're breastfeeding, there's so many demands on the body. And on top of that, sleep has changed majorly. Life (laughs) circumstances have changed majorly and stress probably has too. And this would fit my criteria of now is not the time to try to lose weight in a direct manner because we're going to spin our wheels and probably degrade our metabolic rate. Really, it's just giving yourself some grace to move through that season and trust that your body's doing exactly what it needs to be doing at that time. And there will come a time when if it is necessary, you can certainly go after more aesthetic goals. But in that like immediate postpartum window, it just really breaks my heart to see women feeling like they need to diet or do something really crazy um, right away. Cause it's like, gosh, you just did the most amazing thing. Like, look what your body is capable of. It's okay. If she needs a little time, it's okay. If she looks different now, can we love her in that season? Um, and if we can, and we really focus on that nourishment piece and getting rest where you can and not adding the stress of dieting recovery is just so much better. And typically you end up finding your way back a lot easier. Okay. For people who can't see this, I have a huge smile on my face because I was literally just talking to this really, really sweet young woman. She's like 22. She just had a baby and she's like, I'm just struggling so much with my weight. I just want to lose the baby weight already. It's not coming off. And I was, I like the gentle way that you just give clarity of like, Hey, this is not the time you're going to burn the wheels and all those pieces of you're not sleeping and you're more stressed. And like, let's be real. She's not eating three regular meals a day because she's just dealing with the laundry and the baby. And like, then that added pressure of being like, but I need to lose the weight now. And there are such, there are so few people being like, no, you don't, you actually don't need to lose the weight now. And you know, if that feels like a necessary goal down the road, you'll have time to do that later. Wow. That I just, 
I think it's so important for women to really hear like, hey, you have permission to not focus on this right now. And just so you know, like it might be damaging to your hormones. You know, you have to take that into consideration. Yeah. I just think the body is so intelligent and particularly if you're breastfeeding, there tends to be a little bit more fat retention on purpose because that is energy reserves because it takes so much energy to feed another human. So if we can just not interfere with how the body's handling that season, we're typically better off. And that's not to belittle the pressures or the internal thoughts and beliefs that you might hold on that. Like, obviously that is all valid, but what a great opportunity to practice just trusting the innate wisdom of your body and giving yourself some grace and, and space to move through that season with the way that your body looks being the least important thing that would be freeing. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. And like, it's funny, my baby's almost one, but I still feel very postpartum. Like, I don't feel like he's one. I feel like I just had him. And even at this point, it's, it's very helpful to hear. I think it's so important for women to hear other women sharing this and, and to remember that innate wisdom of our body to give ourselves grace and to know like this really is helping you work towards long-term health to give your body that rest and replenishment and restoration. It it really serves your long-term health goals to do that. Amen. And honestly, I think postpartum is like two years after the baby. Like it's not just the immediate weeks or months that follow. I mean, it's a big, it's a big transitional period and a big recovery period too. So if you still feel postpartum at a year, then that's absolutely valid. For sure. I mean, listen, I'm also full-time nursing still. So until I'm not doing that and until I get like at least a year of recovery from that, I'm still postpartum. I'm going to milk that card for as long as I can and take my rest as much yes. as I can. <laughs> no, because really like we need it. And I I really just, I think there's something about the way that you phrase it that I, I think it like hits, I don't know, it just hits or it, it enters the mind in a different way sometimes because a lot of people know like, okay, of course I'm supposed to sleep. Of course I'm supposed to rest. But there's something about the way you phrase it, like it gets right in there. And I hope I hope women hear this and really are able to practice it. Thank you. That means a lot. And I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Maybe like your number one tip when it comes to women and hormonal health, what's something, Mm. or let's say someone's looking for like a quick win, something that they could start doing today that will help them optimize their health a little bit more. Mm, Okay. Quick win is we're going to start with the morning and all I would ask is that you have a protein rich breakfast within an hour of waking and that you keep your coffee or any caffeine that you consume to either be with or after that breakfast, not before. And that one change. So like a good protein rich breakfast and delaying caffeine sets you up for better blood sugar to not rely on stress hormones all day um, and to have better normal hormone production. So start with the morning and then the rest typically falls into place. I love that. Do you have like a go-to high protein breakfast that you love or that you love recommending? I'm a big like eggs gal, which I think a lot of people get bored of. (laughs) I love like a couple of scrambled eggs and I'm also in my sourdough making era. So usually a piece of sourdough and some fruit. Oh, so I'm an egg girl and I I buy my sourdough, which I feel like- Okay, hey pathetic that I'm even embarrassed. Like, okay, whatever. I go to the sourdough bakery and I get it there, but I'm always like in awe of people who make their own and it's on my bucket list of at one point I'm going to do it, but you know, I'm still postpartum. So that's, yeah, that's not (laughs) something I'm adding to my to-do list right now, but I love it. Eggs are so versatile. They're so easy. Um, and there's like something for everyone, you know, sunny side up omelet scrambled. So I love that. It's a really, really easy tip for people. 
<laughs> okay, Kaylee, thank you so, so much. This was awesome. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, how they can work with you or get in touch with you? So you can find me on Instagram at Kaylee RD. My name is spelled weird. So it's K-A-E-L-Y-R-D. And that's where you'll find a lot of just free educational materials. Um, and then in that bio link, you'll see the different ways that you can work with my team and I. Um, we serve clients in a one-on-one -on -one capacity. And probably by the time this comes out, we'll have a self-paced course that walks through our framework for happy hormones, which will be fun. It's been in the works for a long time, so it's almost ready. Okay. Yay. That's so exciting. Okay. Awesome. We're going to link all that up in the show notes for people. Kaylee, thank you so much for being here. I enjoyed this so much. Me too, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the About Health and Hormones podcast. If you loved today's episode, I would love to know. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so I can make this podcast even better for you all. I would love to connect with you. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition or head to my website, www.laurenallennutrition.com to learn about my coaching programs and stay up to date on all of my latest workshops and courses. I am so glad you are here today and I wish you all health and happiness.